Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Creative Control with Beesh Khanna. Hey, how you doing? Look, I did not plan to have so much stuff happening in this episode. These things just kind of happen by themselves. I'm going with the flow. On this episode, Sled Island's Drew Marshall talks to me about the flood in Calgary and how it's devastated the city and interrupted the Sled Island Music Festival, which was only two days in when it had to cancel completely last week. Also, Matt Myers of the band uh, Houndmouth from Indiana checks in from the road. Uh, the band has a couple of Canadian dates this week, and we're going to talk about the uh, fake folk revival and some other stuff, too. Derek Kristoff, the artist formerly known as Decisive, uh, remembers James Gandolfini. We lost the great James Gandolfini, who plays Tony Soprano on The Sopranos, or who played him, and uh, we lost him suddenly last week. Turns out Decisive has a deep emotional connection Tony Soprano and James Gandolfini so I wanted to do something we're talking to Decisive about this on the show and finally Mike Belitsky of the Sadies stops by for a segment we like to call Random Calls with Mike Belitsky of the Sadies This week's episode of Creative Control with Vish Khanna is brought to you by the Eden Mills Writers Festival, which celebrates its 25th anniversary this September 13th to 15th in the beautiful village of Eden Mills, just outside of Guelph, Ontario. Over the last quarter century, the festival has grown into a nationally acclaimed and widely respected literary event dedicated to promoting and raising awareness of Canadian literature, both young emerging authors and writers and very well-established ones, and they have a very exciting program planned for this year. For more information about the festival, visit EdenMillsWritersFestival.ca. Flood. We have major flooding happening at this hour in and around Calgary. From Camor to Coleman, communities are battling rising waters. In Calgary, it could be the biggest flood since 2005. In Turner Valley, well, as you can see, we have the mayor of Calgary with us now, Nahid Nenshi. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, you had had half hour sleep in 36 hours. Uh, yeah, I think I added another seven or eight minutes to it. But uh, man, you get a second wind at about 39 hours or something. 
The, uh, I, I know to a Calgary audience, you have been very clear with the message to heed the warnings that this crisis isn't over yet, and that, that message continues. But uh, what's the message for the country? Well, you know, we are, um, first of all, the message is hug a public servant. Uh, it is unbelievable the dedication of people and what they've done in order to keep their neighbors safe, um, whether they're police officers or firefighters or guys who pump water out of the water treatment plants uh, or citizens who've taken in friends' family and neighbors. Uh, this is a real blessing for us that people are so engaged in community and in public service. That, that's a big deal. The city of Calgary continues its recovery after being blindsided by a disastrous flood that has devastated residences and businesses. Alberta Premier Allison Redford has said it may take 10 years for the metropolis to fully recover, and the photos and videos of the destruction are unbelievably tragic and sad. Some people have lost everything they own. At the same time, the community spirit on display has been remarkable as people are rallying behind each other and around their mayor, Nahed Nenshi, who has been a resilient and comforting force. Anyone who's attended the annual Sled Island Music Festival has experienced the warmth, camaraderie, and perseverance of Calgary's arts community firsthand. So when news broke that the 2013 edition was canceled two days into its schedule last week, more Canadians began to recognize just how serious this natural disaster really was. Joining me now to discuss the state of his city is Sled Island's marketing coordinator, Drew Marshall. Drew, how are you? That's going all right. Yeah, we were kind of just settling um, after a pretty crazy week. Um, we had to cancel the festival, as you mentioned, um, on the Friday morning, which was two days in. Um, it was something that we, we would have never expected, but uh, given the, the state of things in the city and uh, the fact that majority of our venues were actually in the evacuation zones. Uh, we were kind of forced with uh, no other no other choice to, but to make that decision. When did things really begin to seem serious from your observation? Obviously, you, you were probably instructed to make this call, but when were, when, when were you as an organization like, we have to do something about this? Honestly, it came up so quick. Uh, we were in the office on Thursday morning. Uh, it was the day after the opening night of the festival. And, uh, you know, we were all working away. I mean, it's a busy time for us, obviously. And uh, things were starting to escalate. Uh, we were noticing on social media. But really, it was just like a matter of a few hours. Uh, we got the call that the, the area that we were actually in was be, was a part of uh, the initial evacuation zones uh, and, and the, the first sort of post that Nenshi had uh, made, um, the mayor. And... Um, at that point, it was just like, oh, my God, okay, so we have to get everyone out of the office. And at that point, there were a few other people that started showing up in the space, and we had to find a, an alternative office. Um, so it was really just like a matter of a few hours where we initially heard that we were going to be we were in the evacuation zone, where we had to, at that point, pack up everything in the office, move to the Palliser Hotel, uh, who, were grateful, uh, who we were grateful they offered us the space there and uh, and we could set up in sort of like the the neighborhoods were being it was being added as to where where um, we were no longer going to be able to do shows that night and we were we were fortunate we were able to move two of the shows on Thursday um, I think we ended up with the six that ended up having to be canceled in their original venues um, but luckily we were able to move the super chunk show from the Republic to Flame Central, which was right downtown. And we were also able to move the John K. Sampson show, which was scheduled for Inglewood, to uh, a movie theater, the, the uh, Globe Cinema, which was right downtown as well. So it was pretty miraculous um, what, what ended up happening that night, given the circumstances. 
but yeah, it really just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere. But describe describe the psychology that you that must be going on when you're trying to salvage a music festival in the midst of a natural disaster that you know your lives are in the ba- you're hanging in the balance here but you're also trying to juggle that with <laughs> how do we right. coordinate this event like I don't even know how you did that yeah I mean there's always I think in these situations you know the, the precautions are sent out and and uh, you know and, it, and it's obviously these are important things to follow and to take serious and when they came out we we're like wow we have to all of a sudden you know we, we just realized like oh my god we can't do these shows here like what are we going to do and so we started moving stuff around luckily for us the downtown wasn't in the evacuation zone it was far enough removed from the rivers um, that it wasn't going to be a problem initially. So as far as, you know, as far as we could, um, you know, sort of process things at the time, like it made sense to move forward with the shows that were taking place, like in the non-evacuation zones. Meanwhile, you know, we had staff members that were being evacuated from their apartment buildings, but it was something that at the time we weren't even really thinking about. Um, or I, I know they, they probably were thinking about, but it was it was something we had to sort of, put everything in the back of our minds because, you know, it, we were right in the middle of everything and, and doing our best to keep keep things going forward. Um, you know, once it got to the point where, you know, the, the floods were a reality. Um, and, you know, when, when those evacuation calls, just backing up here, when those evacuation calls were made, you know, we, we were out on the street hustling to get everything out of the office. Meanwhile, people are sitting and having coffee, you know, like in the building right next door. Like it, it didn't seem like there was anything – that that eminent that was that was happening at that moment, but uh, sure enough, within a day, um, within twelve to sixteen hours, really, you know, these these same spots were flooded, and and it sort of got to the point where obviously, you know, being able to carry on in the you know with this intention of, of putting on this festival wasn't going to be reality anymore. I mean, it was just too severe of, of a situation, and and uh, we, and yeah, basically, we were forced to. To have to cancel given the circumstances. It's kind of incredible how something can seem so surreal and suddenly so real. Exactly. That that was the thing, right? Because your senses are telling you, you know, there's nothing really wrong right now. But the but the city's official word was, the, you know, these are evacuation zones. Something is is coming, and and I think the just tapping in, you know, talking about the psychology. There's there's this real fear, like, oh my god, is the dam going to break? Like, are these all these streets going to be just like overturned with water? And, you know, that was certainly in our minds, but at the same time, you know, we were at the hotel, uh, the Fairmont Palliser downtown, which was considered um, sort of like a safety zone. Like the majority of downtown had been evacuated, but they allowed people to stay at the Palliser. So we had the majority of our artists there. We had our majority, we had our staff, like our, that's where our main hub became. And uh, yeah, we basically just, just, uh, you know, focused in there and, and did the majority of what we had to from from the Palser, and uh, I managed to get out on the Thursday night when we still had shows going on at around eleven thirty, and it was it was eerie, like it, it, but it was also kind of beautiful too. I mean, the those that were out of the shows were really you know they really wanted to be there, and there's some really special performances, like the John K. Sampson one being moved last minute to this uh, movie theater downtown. It was just like you know it was the type of show that. You couldn't. There's given the circumstances. There's no way you could have fabricated this. It was all yeah. just sort of in the moment, and, and things were happening, and and people were there. Um, you know, they like I mentioned, they really wanted to be there. 
Um, so it was it was a really beautiful evening, and and it was it was a big disappointment to have to cancel everything the next day. But yeah, like I mentioned before, at that point there wasn't much we could do. Were there any uh, artist reactions to this situation that stand out for you? Uh, were there any predicaments that some artists found themselves in because of the situation that uh, come to mind? Certainly, I mean, at based basically like at the point when we had to cancel. You know, that was the, immediately after we are calling all the bands that were on their way to the city, don't get on the plane, anyone who's driving, turn around, the festival's been canceled. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of that, like just giving the preemptive, like, do not come to Slut Island anymore, do not come to Calgary right now. And then in terms of artists that were there, I mean, you know, there was quite a few, like Tim Hecker basically arrived right when the festival was canceled. Joel Plaskett was at the hotel, and he was saying that he, um, I think he ended up doing this, but he was planning to perform in the hotel, like, later on that evening, just to kind of, like, you know, there's a lot of people there, and, and there was no electricity, so he had sort of intended to do that. I think it ended up happening, too, actually, from what I heard. Um, but it was really just, like, the resiliency of, of all these people in the city, um, uh, basically those that owned houses that were willing to put on shows, and the bands that were here already, um, all coming together to put on all these amazing events all over the city uh, that really just like sprung up, you know, within within moments, you know, like it was really, it was all sort of, you know, it was there happening and then given the situation canceled and then almost immediately after these shows just sprung up and, and you know, just given that everyone was in town, uh, it was it was a really amazing thing. I think it lifted people's spirits almost immediately in this way that, yeah, just it was so natural, and and really the rest of the weekend was, I think anyone who was around had an amazing time, and, and it's going to be a slot island to remember like no other. That's for sure. How how are they able to have such an amazing time? Just based on the photos and the video and the news that we've seen, it just seems like how could anyone do anything in that situation? I think it it's a matter of you know being in a situation where things are so down and so difficult, um, and just finding a way to to remain resilient and, and, uh, you know, and really just like embrace, you know, sort of the spirit of Sled Island. Um, you know, it was, it was a pretty big letdown to have to cancel the festival. I mean, like, I'm like, we're talking about, there was a lot of bands that had traveled a long distance to be here. And, you know, there were still a lot of people and there was a lot of musicians in town and, you know, they were, they were able to find, homes that were outside of the evacuation zone that, you know, that were safe to, to be traveling to and, and were, weren't necessarily affected by. And, uh, you know, and the majority of people that were, you know, were in the evacuation zones and, and even those that, you know, their homes are, are, are potentially destroyed now or at least, like, severely damaged, you know, a lot of them were staying with people that were outside of those zones as well. And, mm. and you know, so there was a lot of coming together in those in those moments that followed and, and it still remains. And I feel like that, you know, all that sort of accumulated of, of people being around and, and wanting something to do and, and, uh, and take their mind off the situation. Um, I think all those things factored into these parties popping up and, and just sort of the, the amazing spirit that, that carried on throughout the weekend and, and um, yeah, and just really lifted people's spirits. Well, I know it's uh, still fresh here, but can you? Uh, well, first of all, can you maybe talk about what the state, uh, what the city feels like now, what the state of, of Calgary is from your perspective right now? Well, yeah. So uh, we moved back to our office earlier uh, today. Uh, the power is still out. Uh, we're located in Mission, 
and uh, they uh, around there. I was going to say there's a lot of people who are you know that's sort of the the first area that isn't it, half of it was affected um, and the other half is not so bad. So it's right on the cusp of where um, everything that has just been totally damaged, like you know beyond repair. And uh, so you're seeing a lot of people that are walking into the streets just covered waist deep in mud. Um, I, I drove through one of the neighborhoods um, that was severely, you know, really badly affected. And uh, the whole street is just lined of with people's stuff just out in front, just covered in mud. Um, so it seems like the, uh, the, the, flood, the flooding has, has definitely gone down. So it's, uh, there's less water on the streets and, and even the river is, is still high, obviously, but it's not quite at the levels we saw earlier in the week. Um, ha- however, the, uh, the process of the cleanup is, you know, kind of in, in full mode now and, mm-hmm. and people are really kind of, you know, again, it's, you're seeing a lot of resiliency and people coming together and offering helping hands to, to get everyone back and, you know, and just sort of even assess the damage at this point, um, which is kind of a, yeah, it's a similar situation to where we're at, where we're just trying to figure out like where we're at financially and, and also, you know, like once we can kind of get a better picture of, of where, what kind of stuff we have around, like things that we can donate and, and even just uh, mobilizing volunteers to help out. I think that's kind of where everyone's heads are at at the moment. Right. Just trying to figure out how to move forward. Have you contemplated, I mean, I don't, it's probably no one's business, but what happens to the bands that were supposed to play? Do you are you on the hook to pay those bands, or is there some kind of way out of that? And then, in terms of the ticket sales and mm-hmm. refunds, obviously that's a whole other. Yeah, so that's something that the board um, of directors and, and uh, Mode, our executive director, and Sean, our um, festival manager, are looking into now. Um, obviously, being out of the office has been difficult to uh, really sit down and, and assess um, the situation and, and review, you know, agreements and, and sort of legality of all of it. Um, so, yeah, I think right now we're just sort of asking people to remain patient and uh, we're hoping to have some some definitive answers and, and um, send out a, um, an announcement just to sort of let people know where things are at um, in the next, next few days here is, is our goal. Is there anything even... Well, I don't. I was going to say, has anything even close to this happened before in your experience in Calgary? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it was so far beyond what any of us could have expected to happen during the festival. I overheard someone say today the last time there was a state of emergency in Calgary was in 1932. So obviously, wow. it's like these things don't happen too often. Uh, there was a, a pretty major flood in 2005 or six. I can't recall, but it was a few years ago, and there was definitely some some neighborhoods affected, but you know, nothing quite on this scale. Um, and it's something, yeah, like I'm saying it's, we could have never anticipated this no. to, to happen during Sled Island. No, I mean, I I've said this to a few people already. I went to Sled Island last year for the first time and it was mm-hmm. one of the best festival experiences I've ever had in Canada. So I hope uh, that you guys can recover from this. And uh, thank you. I, I mean, it, it seemed like I, I was conflicted about this, that I had a music festival in my thoughts Right, watching all of this unfold, but like I, I had planned, I was hoping to come this year, uh-huh. uh, and I just couldn't swing it. And uh, I, I, and you know, on some level, I was like, it's crazy. I could have been there, and I was just there, and I saw all these places that I walked around last year, you know, yeah. engulfed in water, and 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 I just, it's heartbreaking for me on a personal level, and I, I feel for you, and I hope, I hope you're okay. Is there anything that uh, we outside of the city can do to help? 
the city, uh, I know your mayor has, first of all, what do you make of your mayor? He's been, he seems like he's, Stand been, up. he's been great, right? Yeah, he's been fantastic. I think everyone in Calgary is always, you know, since he's since he's uh, since he was elected, there's been a, a real love affair with uh, Mayor Nenshi and the city of Calgary, and you know he's just been able to step it up and his ability, you know, just ability to communicate with people and keep them informed and and uh, really go above and beyond has been pretty marvelous. And yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's um, it really gives a lot of peace. No, people's minds, especially seems, in this difficult situation. Seems like a hero to me. What can we do to help the city and Sled Island, uh, for that matter, at this point? What what can people do? Yeah, it's it's um, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it's still early days. Like following the um, the the flood, basically from the Sled Island standpoint, you know, we're still sort of assessing um, where we're at and and how you know people can maybe like help out through the festival. Um, as I mentioned, we're, you know, there's certain, you know, there's, for instance, there's a park nearby where the office is that I was walking to, I walked to, was walking through every day to get to work. And, you know, that park basically turned into a lake um, during the flooding. And right. I think there's a lot of debris and, and just like major cleanup that needs to happen. Um, so that's something we, we've sort of been, been talking about. And um, yeah, in terms of, you know, um, support concerts and, and relief efforts and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think you can anticipate seeing some of those pop up more. There was a great one that happened at uh, Commonwealth, which is one of the one of the venues for Slut Island. Um, they had 15 bands perform on Sunday night, and they were able to raise $18,000 um, from that one concert. So that was wow. obviously a huge, yeah, huge thing and, and just tremendous effort um, from lots of amazing people in the community. Um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, from, from our perspective, we're still just asking people to r remain patient, um, so we can figure out our situation and, and give people an idea of how they can support and, uh, you know, help us get back on our feet and, and in, you know, in, in return sort of support the, the larger artistic community in Calgary. Um, and then in terms of, you know, city, citywide support, I mean, there's definitely a ton of it happening now. Um, and, and I think, you know, definitely looking towards, you know, and she's Twitter is obviously a great resource for, for finding out stuff and, and the, the official city word, I, I've, I've sort of just, you know, in the thick of it, we, we didn't have a chance to be watching television or listening to radio. And it was basically just like following the official social media updates and, and the city news website. And I think those seem to be, you know, the most straight up like facts, like here's what's going on. Here's where they really need help. And, and that way you're not sort of um, getting, you know, you're not getting too caught up in the sensationalized aspects of, of everything. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, sticking to the facts and, and looking at where they need help because it seems like there is still a lot. And especially once you get once you get into the areas even outside of Calgary, it seems like High River and, and, and those surrounding areas are, you know, really kind of in rough shape. And a lot of the Aboriginal, you know, like areas um, outside of the city as well have, yeah. have been really devastated. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff going on and, and I'd say, yeah, just sticking to the, the resources of, for the official news and, and we'll have some, some updates to come later in the week, how people can, can help us out in, in this situation. Drew, it's amazing to hear from you and to see you on my computer screen. Thanks for, uh, yeah. thanks for chatting today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for, for reaching out and, and, uh, yeah, and just touching base. We're, we're always happy to provide information and, and just sort of let people know, what's been going on here. It's been a pretty, uh, I want to say like miraculous week. Like it's just been at something. We, yeah. It's like so far beyond anything we could have ever 
imagined in, in so many ways. Okay, that's great. Uh, Drew Marshall is the marketing coordinator for the Sled Island Festival. For more information about Sled Island and updates on uh, what they're going to do uh, in the days coming, in the weeks coming, in the months coming, check out sledisland.com. Mouth are a young band from Indiana whose gritty, rock-infused folk has been earning them a lot of acclaim lately and opening slots for the likes of Drive-By Truckers and Alabama Shakes, among others. Their debut record came out earlier this month via Rough Trade. It's called From the Hills Below the City, and they're at Montreal's The Vin Orange on June 27th and Toronto's Garrison on June 28th. Joining me now via the telephone is Houndmouth's Matt Myers to discuss all of this and possibly uh, more. Hi, Matt. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm very well. Where Where in the world are you, Matt? I am in Vermont right now, under a stairwell in a hotel. <laughs> under a stairwell. What do you, that sounds completely dodgy to me. Why are you under a stairwell? Um, the lobby was kind of uh, uh, full of people, and the room was full of sleeping people. Have you been cast adrift in some way? A little bit, yeah. I'm, I'm stuck between, you know, rock and a hard place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you, right? Well, I, you know, your your band's been getting a lot more attention lately, so uh, maybe this alone time is good for you. But uh, <laughs> how how does it feel? Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> um, it feels it feels good. Yeah, we're constantly on the move, and um, you know, you don't really kind of you you don't know all the attention. Like we really don't know what's going on outside because we're in a van the whole time and kind of moving. And uh, every once in a while we'll check like social media and stuff. But really, when you're like in it, doing it every day, and you don't really know kind of what's going on. Yeah, touring is a. It can be a weirdly isolating experience, can it? Yeah, yeah, and at the same time, I don't get like you said, I don't get any alone time. It's just I'm constantly around the band. It's like I don't know. I think we're all losing our minds a little bit. Yeah. So if 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 people are traveling, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and they go to a hotel and they see somebody uh, hiding underneath a stairwell, the odds are pretty good they're just somebody in a band hiding out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I've never. These are great little nooks too. There's usually a lot of uh, like rollout cot beds in here. But this one's <laughs> empty. Nice. Right. I could see that. I could see that happening. Uh, you, the, the the band's sound has really been resonating with people lately. Why why is it resonating so much, do you figure? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, there's the whole folk revival thing going on, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't feel... I feel like that's kind of what people are into, you know, folks coming back, but I, I don't think we're, like, uh, do we necessarily fit into that category... Um, but, you know, I don't know. Do you have any input on that? Do you know why, why people are... Well, I do, have a, I do have a theory that the folk revival might be kind of horseshit, and that yeah. <laughs> I think that folk yeah, music... Absolutely. I think folk music never really has gone anywhere. It's just that the media and, and you know, the media is a very powerful force, and they've just decided to focus all their attention on these supposed 
folk revivalists, but it's the it's one of the if not the oldest form of music possible, and it's always been happening. It just seems like a weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Like. Well said. Yeah, it's like um, I I just don't want folk music to turn into like some '90s fad. You know. Like, yeah. It's been around, and there's there's no reason for uh, the media to push it like it is, and and show it down people's throats, and then it's just going to get old. Yeah, and and but at the same time, I think it's resilient enough that it's going to outlast the sort of fad, the the interest that it, like the sort of what I see as kind of a, a fleeting interest from the media in it. I think what you're saying is you're anticipating a backlash for something that has been around forever. Right, right. Which is frustrating. How long have you been in this band? Oh, uh, it's been going for. We've been together for about a year and a half. Oh, okay. Um, we've all played together. Yeah, we've we've all played together separately for quite a while. Right. So, and, uh, so you kind of shop. unfortunately formed and are coming to people's attention in the midst of this supposed folk revival. That must be might be a bit tough. Right, right. And it and it's very frustrating because we wouldn't we wouldn't be playing any other music. Like this is what kind of what we grew up on and what we love. And uh, well, I don't know if it's classified as folk. I, I mean, I guess we, we, we definitely tell stories and I guess that's the definition of folk music. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a definite edge to it. It's not like, I, I it's a, it's a, it's a garage rocky kind of version of, of folk music to say the least. It's got a grit to it, as yeah. I said. We've talked a little bit about touring already, uh, but uh, I'm curious how you while away the hours on tour. I've been talking to a few people today about this. So, what is it about? Uh, what, what do you do to occupy your time when you're not playing music? Um, we uh, we read quite a bit. We um, let's see. I just got a little uh, tiny guitar and the uh, small amp I keep in the van. And I've been like learning jazz stuff because I'm uh, got to brush up on my chords. Oh, but, uh, doesn't that get com- doesn't yeah. that, doesn't that get frustrating for your bandmates who have been listening to loud music in bars and then they they got to hear you keep playing music in the van? That's true. Yeah, but it's like because uh, it's an electric guitar, so it doesn't project when because I have the headphones on. So it doesn't oh, really project that much. okay. Yeah, so it's reasonable. And uh, we've been playing a lot of chess lately, Zach and I. Oh, nice. Yeah, like nonstop. We're we're not the best. We're still learning. We've been playing for about a year. Okay. Uh, Katie's brother's r- really great, and he uh, shared us the ropes. And we like take lessons from him when we can. And who is so far? Who's sort of the 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 best at chess right now? Um, me and Zach have been pretty even. I last night I just uh, I took the lead, I think. But uh, Neil, Katie's brother, is absolutely. Hands down, the best. Okay. Well, obviously, he's the one. He's the Jedi. He's giving you the lessons. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I will say that chess is about one of the best ways you can while away the time on tour. I I went went on a tour and we played chess and it was great. It was very competitive yeah. though. It gets very competitive. Yeah, that's another problem though. We we get very competitive with everything, <laughs> <laughs> and it just turns into it just turns into anger after a while, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that you guys have been reading some stuff. What kinds of stuff do you read? Um, I have just uh, what Kate. I think Katie's reading some Dan Brown right now. Um, Sorry, what's she reading? Oh, Dan Brown. Oh, Dan Brown. I, I see. don't know. Dan Brown's new book, whatever you know, how it goes. Entertainment. 
Sure, sure. I, this is the guy that wrote yeah, the, yeah. the Da Vinci Code and, and all that stuff? Right, right, right. Right. Um, I, I got a book called Philosophy Bites. It's like uh, uh, like recent philosophers talking about uh, old philosophers in like like a dialogue between two people. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool. Um, there's another, another book, the, the guy that wrote True Grit. Uh-huh. I can't remember his name. Uh, Charles Portis, I think. Okay. Uh, it's called Escape from Velocity, and it's just a collection of all his um, articles and uh, some short stories, kind of Hunter S. Thompson-esque, but in his own, he kind of has his own, his own style. Really good. Okay, that's pretty cool. I, I I not heard of that. So that's, what's the name of that book again? Uh, Escape from Velocity. Okay, Escape from Velocity. I'm going to check that out. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the articles at first are kind of slow when you get into his travel. Great. Nice. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely check that out. I appreciate that. This is one of the things I do. I try to ask people to give me book recommendations when they're on the show. Yeah, yeah, cool. Sweet. <laughs> so what's coming up next? <laughs> what's coming up next for, uh, for Houndmouth? Um, well, we finish out, I think we have about a week left on this tour, and then we head back home for like three days. And then we're off again. I think we start the festival circuit then. So you're mostly, it's mostly focused on touring. You haven't thought about uh, getting back in the studio or anything like that. Right, right. A lot of touring. Um, and I was asking somebody last night, like, when when will we have time to practice? And he's like, you won't. He's like, turn sound checks into your practice and start hammering out new songs. Like, all right. Like, yeah. we have a lot of stuff written. We just don't have them uh, um, arranged yet. How we want them. Okay, well, I, I wish you the best of luck finding time to do that. It sounds like you guys are very busy. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, once again, Houndmouth's debut record is called From the Hills Below the City, and they're at Montreal's Devin Orange on June 27th and Toronto's Garrison on June 28th. Uh, for more information about the band, please visit houndmouth.com. Matt Myers, nice to speak with you, and uh, as I say, good luck with everything. All right, thanks again, man. The world lost an amazing artist, actor James Gandolfini, died suddenly at the age of 51 of a cardiac arrest while on vacation in Italy last week. And uh, fans like me uh, of his show, The Sopranos, and his character, Tony Soprano, we were just a bit broken up by it. And uh, I I wanted to do something on the podcast today to kind of commemorate this uh, man. And as it turns out, a dear friend of mine, whom you might know best by the name Decisive, also kind of... uh, feels the pain that I am feeling, I suppose. Uh, uh, joining me on the line, Derek Kristoff, a.k.a. Decisive. Derek, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm well. Where are you right now? I'm currently hiding. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In a staircase at 60 Adelaide Street East in Toronto. A staircase? Are you under a stairwell? If, if you're under a stairwell, there's some kind of weird theme going on on my show. Really? Yeah, you're the second person on the podcast who, uh, that I've interviewed that's hiding underneath the stairwell. It's kind of, kind of odd. Was that person hiding from his employer? No, he was hiding from his bandmates who are, they're all on tour and they were sleeping, I guess, in the hotel and he couldn't go to the lobby because it was crowded. So he just decided to hide out in the, under a stairwell like a troll. So basically, mine is it's a little bit more dangerous because I could be fired at any moment from my job. It's true. I, I suppose that's true. I, I, I never thought of that. Well, I wanted to talk to you about... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get you in any trouble, but I did want to talk to you about James Gandolfini because, as it turns out, you have a, a pretty deep connection to his character, Tony Soprano. Yeah, like super heavy. Uh, yeah, when he passed away last Wednesday, I... Probably every friend that I have, you know, was sending me texts and, you know, when once they found out the news, either that or to, like, say sorry to me, like, he was, like, a family member of mine. It was actually, you know, pretty sad and pretty surreal at the same time. Now, why would they know what a connection you have to him beyond, I mean, we all watch the show. Some of us obsessed over the show a little bit. What in particular would have drawn all these people to contact you when someone you never even knew passed away? Well, it, it goes back to uh, the end of 2006. Uh, my father passed away in September of 2006, and it was, like, super, super hard on me. And, you know, it's, you know it's, it was the worst, like, depression I'd ever had to deal with in my life. And anyone who's even familiar with my music, uh, one song, Laundry Room in particular, I always refer to that time of my life as the laundry room period. And I was just like a total mess for probably a month and a half, like not going outside, just staying in my father's house and, you know, staying in his bed and just watching TV. And after, you know, the most contact I had with people at the time was, you know, pizza delivery guys or just food delivery uh, people. And it was just one day where I felt like I had to, kind of pull myself together and go out and find something to do. And I went to, there was a used CD store. I think it was called Edwards Record World that was at Young and Eglinton uh-huh. and a, a CD replay or something. And I went in and I was just looking at DVDs and I just picked up uh, Sopra- Soprano season one. I'm a huge like mafia film obsessive and it was even, I even found it strange up to that point that I had never checked out the Sopranos. And I just figure, okay, well, I need something. I need something to do or watch. So I bought season one and I went home and not even exaggerating, I must have watched, you know, the entire season one in like one sitting, maybe one one break in be after episode six. And it just, you know, I just fell in love instantly uh, mo- most notably with, you know, Tony Soprano. And I, it, I know sometimes it can sound corny when people say things like this, but it was the Sopranos that kind of got me through it. And it, you know, it kind of, 
it took my, I guess, focus off of what I was dealing with. And it was, it gave me an opportunity to kind of watch something else and concentrate on something else. And, you know, once I finished season one, I went out and I think at the time it was probably at season five. So then I just instantly went out and just bought every season. And I, I think from up to that point, if it was from season one to season five, I watched the entire season, like three times through. And I don't know, it was just, it's super, it just came to me in a really horrible time in my life and it really helped me. And, you know, I just fell in love with, you know, Tony Soprano and, James Gandolfini, and at that moment, he became, you know, and still was up to last Wednesday, the only, like, celebrity that I ever really wanted to meet, and probably the only person that I would be super starstruck in meeting. And, you know, reading about him in the media, I always knew that he, you know, he was very private and very shy and didn't like press and being approached, but I always kind of felt that moment was going to come when I would run into him somewhere, see him somewhere, and despite the fact that it would probably piss him off, I would have still approached him and I would have been annoying, but yeah, it's just, it's really sad. You know, obviously your circumstances uh, really color your impression of of him and uh, they're sad circumstances, but as a character, what does Tony Soprano represent to you? Because for a lot of people, he was a very, we all sort of felt a bit conflicted cheering for him, right? He was, he wasn't, he was definitely a flawed sociopath. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, he was a he was a terrible person, like right. super terrible. But I, I, and I think what made the connection, especially with me, because I at the time I was dealing with, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but even after my father passed, there were you know family issues that I had to deal with. Some people that ended up, ended up not being super trustworthy and because of that, it kind of affected my health in a sense, whereas, you know, I went through my entire life, you know, 27 years and I'd never had an anxiety attack. So it's like, I, that was around the time when I actually had my very first panic attack. And then I started watching the Sopranos and I'm watching this character go through exactly what I was going through. And then when you get introduced to like Janice, his sister, that is basically one of my sisters to a T and it just despite the fact that he was a terrible terrible person I I couldn't help but feel sorry for what he had to deal with with certain people and you know the fact that I was kind of my body was reacting the same way this fictional character was I just couldn't help but I just couldn't help but connect to it. No, that makes complete sense. I just didn't realize how many layers deep this went. Wow. I, uh, well, like everyone else, I feel bad for you because uh, clearly this has impacted you and it's uh, it's affected me. I was really shocked and I don't know. Have you thought, uh, uh, this is maybe an obvious question, have you thought maybe about what Gandolfini's legacy will be? Well, I, yeah, I think he leaves behind, you know, an amazing legacy and you know, and a lot of people are not, you know, you, you jump straight to Tony Soprano and you can, you also can't forget how just amazing of a character actor he was. Like he's incredible in true romance. And even though it was a small, uh, small part in zero dark, zero dark 30, he That's, was yep. crazy in that too. Like I just, I don't know. He just became, and it all started with Tony Soprano, but he just became an actor or someone that I wanted to, 
I just wanted to see him on film. Yeah. Even like David Chase's uh, movie, who's called Not Fade Away. Like he's just the best. And you know, it's funny to talk about Tony Soprano. Tony, Tony Soprano. I remember uh, before I'd even seen a like seen an interview with him. I just jumped right into Sopranos four seasons straight, and you kind of you buy it because he's so convincing. And then there was the only moment I ever had where I was kind of disappointed was when I actually watched an interview with him and I realized that he wasn't Tony Soprano. Right. You know, like you hear the way his voice sounds like, I believe it's season six when Uncle Junior shoots him and he starts having the, you're in the dream with him. And, you know, he's he's just this Anthony Soprano, the salesperson, and his identi- identity is switched with Kevin Finnerty. And you kind of, the moment I realized that he, in real life, is that guy, it was it was a little strange to me. Yeah, 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 for sure. So like, but, that, but, like, that just shows how wrapped up in it that I got. Like, I was just totally sucked into that world, and it was just strange. But then I got over that, and, I don't know, Yandolfini, the he's forever going to be like a hero to me. Yeah. And, and what you were saying there, I think also demonstrates his sort of dy- his dynamic ability as an actor. It's a great performance in season six where he's got to kind of oscillate between, well, he's got to oscillate between being a wounded Tony and this Kevin Finnerty character, who's basically a more of an extension of his real life and some, or at least his real way of talking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like in the, it's just, like even just a, a voice, you know, it's, it, kind of it impacts uh, your perception and it's just it's been to me that's how powerful he was yeah well i'm glad we were able to talk about it it's always a little odd uh when people like you and i get really attached to people we don't know you know celebrities people often will say that to me uh you know like why do you why do you care you didn't you don't know that person but sometimes in a way when you when you kind of appreciate someone's art or their expression you do kind of know them and it sounds like you this character really resonated with you and i you know for what it's worth and for how silly it might sound i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry for you that you lost this guy yeah thanks yeah yeah, it, yeah it's it's you know and it's, it's hard to explain like i know even like my fiance and certain people who are like with me at the time that was happening it's it's really hard for anyone to like i guess I don't know if I want to use the word excess, but, you know, to see as, I guess, normal. But, like, not by no means am I trying to make this about myself. But, like, when I first put out my first record, I had never thought of anything like that. And then I just started getting, you know, emails from people, you know, kind of saying the same thing. You know, like, they experienced what I went through and they feel that attachment with myself. So, you know, and that was strange to me, you know. And this is me putting on paper my real life, like things that I really went through that other people are going through. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, here I am, you know, like obsessed and in love with a character that didn't even exist. Right. Right. But I mean, so, again, it just speaks to the power of the character and, and the performance. It's pretty, Yeah, it's very rare for that to happen. So Derek, uh, thank you so much for talking to me about this. And, uh, and oh, I just yeah. want, and I want to let people know that uh, Derek Kristoff and the archaeologists have a new, release out called the dark tape it's a d period a r k tape and you can learn more about that at the desolate collective dot bandcamp dot com
duct tape. I don't know if you knew it or not, but uh, a version of the Creative Control Show actually airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can stream it at CFRU.ca if you like. And on this week's edition of the program, I did a couple of things. I spent a lot of time with the Murder Records 7-inch singles 1993 to 1998 photo book that just came out. It's a, a book of photos by Catherine Stockhausen who documented the Murder Records uh, community and uh, scene. And it's also got a download code, so you can actually download all of the singles that Murder Records released in that time frame. And you get a bonus 7-inch uh, uh, of an, a couple of unearthed songs by a, a band called The Certain Someones, featuring members of Sloan, The Super Friends, and Jail. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then I also talked a little bit about how the Boston Bruins lost the Stanley Cup, the Chicago Blackhawks. All of it put me in the spirit to make uh, a random call to Mike Belitsky of the Sadies. Uh, here's what happened. Hello? Uh, hello, is this Mike Belitsky of the Sadies? Yes, who's calling, please? Uh, it's, uh, it's Vish Khanna, Mike. It's your friend, it's your friend Vish from, from Creative Control, the show Creative Control. Sheesh. Yes. Uh, How are you? What's I'm, happening? Oh, I, I'm well. I'm well. I, I'm not much. I'm just doing my show, and I thought I'd give you a ring. You know, I uh, I miss talking to you on the telephone. I have to say, this is a very random phone call that I'm receiving. Yes. Well, that's the the concept behind uh, the random phone calls with Mike Belitsky of the Sadies. It's it's to catch you a little bit off. You don't guard. even have a radio show, do you? You just want to like randomly call me. Yeah, it's. And it's you figured you can only do it under the under the blanket of a, of radio broadcasting. Yeah, or or a podcast, if you will, or whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just an excuse, I suppose. I mean, I, I was going to say, you know, Vish, the podcast is very popular. <laughs> very popular these days. It's I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're doing okay. I think some of them are doing pretty good. I don't know if this one is particularly yeah. popular, but I, that's okay. I, I, I have heard that. It's true. No, that's it's good to keep ground level these. <laughs> I feel like I'm on an episode of Bob's Burgers or something all of a sudden. I don't know why. It's like a lilt to your voice that's very familiar to me. What are you doing, Mike? What yes. You, what are you doing right now? Well, honestly... Right now, I was, uh, what was I doing? I was talking to my wife about, um, oh, she was comparing somebody's poetry reading to the difference between, uh, like, you know, a really boring rock concert and then a really awesome rock concert. So I don't know who would be, like, the the boring, but I think, like, the, the awesome would be, like, going to see, I don't know, like, Bonnie Prince Billy versus, I don't know. I, I, I can't even think of someone who's not exciting. So yeah, because you're being a diplomatic. You don't want to make fun of people on on a random call. That, that would be really un. That would be breaking all the rules of randomness. Yeah, I mean, it would be a little random, but you don't want to do that. I I actually and that was kind of interesting. You know, there, I just said the rules of random, but you know, there's that song "Random Rules" by the Silver Jews. That's you know that that's that's one of my favorite songs ever. I was actually uh, on my yeah, I have that inscribed on online somewhere. That's like my little. Song. That should be uh, like our. We should have like that instead of. That should be a theme song for a random call segment. Okay, random rules with Mike Bulletsky. We can change it. It's very random. We can do whatever you want. 
We can do whatever we want. It's random. <laughs> hey, speaking of random, what about that hockey game? One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because your Bruins went down to the to, to the yeah. Hawks in dramatic fashion. What did you make of that? Yeah. You're, you're a lifelong Boston Bruins fan. <sighs> yeah. That was a tough one, wasn't it? Pretty sure I was living in Boston in 1972 when they won the Cup. Then we shortly moved after that. But that's another story altogether. Now, did you ever spend time in, what do I, in Chicago? Because your wife spent some time in Chicago, right? I did. I did. We met in Chicago. Hmm. And then uh, I went and lived there with her for about a year or one year. Okay, so do you have... So, year 1999, I believe it was. So probably like me... If you're rooting for cities to do well in a yeah. in a playoff, you were conflicted, a little conflicted about the finals. Eh, it wasn't so much a conflict. Like I'd say that what it was was if the Bruins had to lose to anyone, better it should be the Hawks than say the Canucks. Or no offense to all of our Ontario friends, the Leafs, who that was you know, or or the I kind of like the Rangers too, but. You know what I'm saying? Like, if yeah. you have to lose, you may as well lose to them. And another thing, too, is let's think about this in this whole season. It was kind of a, an abridged season. Right. So if you had to lose, you want to lose the year that there would have been an asterisk next to your victory anyway. Right. See, this is what happens when you lose, Fish. You just start... You start making up all the reasons why it was good to lose. Yeah, you're super rationalizing right now. It's kind of I'm, for a random call. This is getting pretty rational and structured. Yeah, well, I was I, I knew you would do this. I knew you would have some kind of weird take on it as a fan of the Bruins. Bruins fans, yeah. Bruins fans are able to kind of, you know, come up with a sort of logical explanation for what happened to their team. Uh, any, any, yeah, I so feel that, like any Boston team really. Yeah, so th- you have to do that because. Even though it's been a pretty good last, say, decade in New England sports, You've there's won. been a long, it's long crazy. suffering before that. So much failure, but so much success. It, it must be a weird thing. You've, but you've won World Series, Super Bowls, Stanley Cups, NBA champ. You've won everything, actually. I, I know, but after so long, after such a drought. I mean, I remember the Patriots when 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 Steve Grogan was the quarterback, and they couldn't. Like they couldn't get out of their own their own end zone, let alone into the offensive zone. They yeah. couldn't get really, the red line did only existed in the defensive sense of the word. Uh-huh. The red zone. Like yeah. it was they were terrible. And then all of a sudden, you know, Tom Brady and Randy Moss and the whole thing and all of a sudden the New England Patriots are like top of the world, Ma. Yeah, yeah. So I mean I, I it's a it's like anything, it's an ebb and flow, but it's a it's got to be tough because, uh, particularly well, to lose in a final, you're so close. And they basically were going to win that game. That that last game, they I were going to win that game. It all got wrapped I up know. in the last minute. Chicago scored a couple goals. Yeah. Basically, that's crazy. That's a crazy finish. And uh, but bit of, a, bit of a choke. It's a bit of a choke, Vish. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. I was trying to be diplomatic. Yeah. It is a random call. But... Well, I mean, let's just call it what it is. It, it they could. You know what? It wasn't meant to be. I was yeah. just like the way the Bruins came back and beat the Leafs. That wasn't meant to be for the Leafs. Yeah. So that's you have to. That's a tough thing to get your head around. But once you do, you can kind of make peace with it. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I woke up at around four this morning and I couldn't get back to sleep because I was a little bit upset. But I was able to fall asleep, which is the first sign of getting over a big loss. 
It's, it's amazing that that's even on your mind as a new dad. I mean, you're still a relatively new dad and you're still, you know, you're wrapped up. Oh, yeah. Well, I also got up to change a diaper. Right. There you go. Really? You're changing diapers yeah. in the middle of the night? We don't. I never do that. We, we just, you know, we, he cries and maybe we should. I don't know. I, I've just never changed it in the middle of the night. We let it ride. It's usually there's not a lot going on in the middle of the night is my point. It's not. A, well, I was just, a, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's just, you figure it's like 100 degrees. Yeah. And I start thinking, like, how would I feel <laughs> if I just wet my pants? Right. I mean, when you say how <laughs> how would I feel, you really you really couldn't have easily have just said how how do I feel when that happens to me? Not you know, I could have just as easily have said that. Yes, because not, more often than not, it's it's me that's wet myself, and I, I have to go change my own pajamas or whatever yeah, I wear in bed. It's not necessarily a hypothetical. Is my point. Speaking of wetting yourself, you know, on on the. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm dying to hear this segue. <laughs> yeah, the segue is a little, uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to pull it off. I've been talking a little bit today about the new Murder Records uh, 7 inch singles collection that just came out, 1993 to 1998. Been playing songs yeah. by, by some of the people. You are sort of affiliated with this whole community because you were in the band Jail. And uh, while they are not, I believe they are not represented by a single, uh, actually, Jennifer Pierce is on. Uh, the seven inch that comes with this collection in a band called the Certain Someones with Chris Murphy and Matt Murphy, uh, who are no relation. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah, I, uh, do, do, is that do, something that that came out later, or was that part from that era? Uh, it's from that era. It just was never released. It was uh, recorded in 1997 oh. and just released like a couple of weeks ago. At uh, the, a bit of like a Wolfgang's yeah. Vault type of. Yeah, discovery. Yeah, and they put it out. It's huh. the only physical seven inch that comes with the collection. Is is this long lost uh, couple of songs by the certain someones? But anyway, I've been reflecting upon what this uh, community of people and the musicians uh, have meant to me. You were involved in the scene. Uh, when you think back on that era of your life, what comes to mind? And, and did it feel like you were you guys were onto something significant? A lot of partying, Vish. It's all a haze. <laughs> no. I, I'm, I'm like the biggest square in the world. So, no. Uh, I, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty exciting thing. I, I mean, I wasn't in Halifax when all that was, was going down or blowing up or whatever, however you want to describe it. But I, I remember, um, I remember the excitement about, like I don't know if this, does this still happen where something is the next Minnesota or the next Seattle or the next you know and then all of a sudden Halifax was it. Yeah, I don't you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you don't hear it as much. Like I think for a while maybe Brooklyn, possibly Toronto was you know a real focus uh, for the media. Yeah, and I guess Montreal too because of right. the, the whole uh, Arcade Fire and all the. Yeah, there's been. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. I don't know that any of them have been dubbed the next Seattle the way uh, Halifax was, but I think you're totally right. Yeah, I. Th I wonder if that's kind of kind of disappeared a little bit because of the sort of dwindling um, record label. Um, yeah, uh, and, I, and I think the inter it, 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 per, I th like the the pre prevalence of a label usually is the cornerstone of that. Like in Minnesota, wasn't it Twin Tone, and then in yeah. Seattle it was Sub Pop, and and in Halifax, I guess it was sort of murder records, right? So that's that's really quite an accomplishment. Yeah, 
And and I mean, so you weren't really part of the scene. And, and jail at that time, when you were in jail, you were on Sub Pop, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, Sub Pop kind of came up there and was was uh, you know looking to discover the the next Sloan, who were the next Nirvana, I guess. Right. So, right. Right. And then, uh, yeah, it's just kind of I guess it was like a cause and effect, and one thing leading to another, and all of a sudden there was just this rabid excitement about any music coming out of Halifax, which, you know, in a way I, I've always felt a little, a little sad that I, I missed being around that type of energy and excitement. But I guess, you know, I was, you know, in contact with Andrew from Sloan, who I'm friends with. And so I, I could pick up on that a little. And then I, I guess I got to experience it a bit while I was playing with jail. Um, they were on sub pop and, uh, we made a record in Chicago uh, with Brad Wood and then went on, on a pretty extensive touring schedule after that. And mm-hmm. So that, you know, that was, that was kind of my experience of it, but I, I didn't, I wasn't there at the, on the, at the ground level. Um, any, any band I had played in in Halifax when I was a kid was not really getting any attention or probably because we weren't very good. But so how much time did, <laughs> how much time did you actually spend in Halifax? Oh, I spent a great deal of time there. My family moved there when I was young, and I went to uh, high school, and I did a year of college there. Oh, okay. But then when you were in jail, yeah. you were living in what, like New York or something? I think so. Maybe Toronto or New York, yeah, between the two, probably. Huh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but uh, some people, uh, I think Jennifer had, maybe she was living in, no, nah, she was living in Halifax, too. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just yeah, I spent a lot of time in Halifax. My parents lived there, and I could go and stay at their house, and that was really actually great. Uh, it was great to you know spend time with my folks. I had moved out of Halifax as a, at a pretty young age, and so I hadn't really spent much time there with them, and so that was cool. And uh, yeah, so I, so I was spending a fair amount of time in Halifax during all that, and but but you know all those bands had already been sort of snatched up and signed and. Um, but you know, there was a cool scene there. There was a building, a bunch of bands rehearsed in. So, you know, you'd bump into people from, from the hardship post. And there was other great bands too, that didn't get, get signed. There was, uh, Leonard Conan and Boo by Skull and all kinds of cool bands. Yeah. I feel like someone in here, I gotta find it. Someone actually does a Leonard Conan song and I didn't know much about that band. Uh, oh, was that song maybe called Frightened Of or something? Yeah, Frightened Of. It's actually got Jail. Jail is the band that did it. Were you in the band? Yeah, there you go. No, you weren't in the band. I don't I don't remember. Somebody from Jail asked me that the other day, and I couldn't remember. So I'm going to say no, but that doesn't mean it was, it, it was, I definitely wasn't. The version was released in 1995. Would you have been in? Yeah, G- probably I wasn't. You weren't. Yeah, okay, no, you weren't quite in there. All right. I don't think so. Well, why don't why don't but, we? Yeah, like, I think I think we should play that song. We should play that song by yeah. by Leonard Conan, and uh, Conan Conan Conan. Yeah. I don't say Conan. Con- I don't oh, say Con- do I don't say Conan O'Brien. I say Conan. Do you? Yeah, and I say Conan the Barbarian, not Conan the. Bar- maybe I maybe I'm mispronouncing it. Oh, I say Conan the Barbarian. I always just said Leonard Conan. I I I. I I was correcting you because I thought you said Leonard Cohen. No, no, it's not Leonard Cohen. No, no, no. It's a band called Leonard Conan or Conan. And this is But you know you should sort of a play on, on names. 
No, I understand what's going on. I, you don't have to explain. Okay, it to so me. you don't need me to explain. No, no, no. But I thought we let's do this because you were in this band jail. Let's play it now. This is from the Edge Fest EP, which was Murder Records catalog number nineteen. This is a bunch of uh, Murder Records bands. Well, let's see here. There's actually four of them doing covers, mostly of their label mates, or uh, in the case of Jail, doing. Uh, so this is Leonard Conan. We're a band from Halifax, right? You were saying. That's correct, yeah. And they were just a great band that just... Who was in the band? Do we great know, band. Do we know anyone in the band? Uh, I do. I know there was a, a guy named Andy McDaniels who was a really very awesome and talented human being who uh, I, I saw him at um, Sappy Fest in Sackville, New Brunswick a couple of years ago, probably the year I saw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were he both was there. just there as a, a spectator. Oh, okay. So you know you knew the guy, yeah. and you knew his... Okay. I knew the guy, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I even played a, played in a band briefly with him, too. All right, well, I, I, I want to hear... Let's let's all listen to the song now. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks for taking this random call. I'm sure there will be more of them uh, as the show uh, continues. Yeah, and Deesh, this podcast thing, I, I think you're onto something. Well, it's, it's, it's both a podcast and a radio show. They're kind of connected. But I, I, but I appreciate yeah, that. My, you... I, I took your compliment, and I just explained things to you. That was a terrible way to accept a, a compliment. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. I'm used to that. I just that's corrected okay. you. Yeah. I, 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 no, I thank I'm a parent you. now. I'm very used to being corrected at all, all the time. No, I thank you for uh, saying nice things, and yeah, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm having fun doing all of this stuff. So, In any case, here's Jail Great. with Frightened Of and uh, Mike Blitzke. Uh, always a pleasure. We'll talk to, you, talk to you soon. Likewise. Talk to you soon, Vish.
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.